busy lipping sofa, busy lipping sofa. I'm really, really, really excited because I'm here with Wood Marchant and I'm at the College of Charleston. This Go is Cougars. awesome. Go Cougars. I'm so excited to have you here, Wood. You. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. So will you tell us about your story? Tell sure. us what it was like, what happened and what it's like now? Sure. So pretty interesting that it started for me here at the College of Charleston in 1984. I had gone to an all-male boarding school in Northern Virginia. Didn't get in much trouble there, um, but I got to the College of Charleston, was free. Um, at that time in the 80s, the girl-to-guy ratio at the college was like eight to two. So um, coming from an all-male boarding school, that was my first problem, um, <laughs> getting getting involved in the dating life and uh but you know with that came a whole lot of partying and in the 80s here in charleston um that meant a lot of drinking um you know there's this funny thing they say about charleston i'm from charlotte north carolina so this little southern saying in charlotte they ask you well honey who's your mother and then in atlanta they'll ask you well son what do you do for a living in charleston the first question is hey what you drinking <laughs> so this is a drinking city. If you take a look at our AA meeting schedule for the Tri-County area, it proves that. Bunch of recovery. I think people like to drink near the water. A whole lot of people end up getting sober near the water. Um, but anyway, for me, that was a lot of alcohol. I started smoking pot regularly, daily. Gosh, until I was 31, to tell you the truth. And then the whatever drugs came up I-95 and made their way here or through the port. Um, so a lot of cocaine and ecstasy and stuff like that. And, but for me, it was alcohol and marijuana that were the staples. Um, and I somehow graduated. And then afterwards I looked around for that path that was supposed to appear to take me to my first job and my wife and my house and all that stuff. And it never showed up. I couldn't, I couldn't make that path. I didn't realize I had to find the path myself. I thought it just happened. Um, and I was struggling, you know, started battling depression. Um, and no wonder I was taking two depressants every day. I go see a therapist, I get one antidepressant, but you know, that couldn't combat the two depressants I was taking. So it was the mid to late twenties were rough. And, uh, I started, you know, I was working in restaurants, as a whole lot of folks do in this town, and that's that's a vampire life. I was working late, staying up later, sleeping all day. I want to interrupt you for one second. Yeah. When you talked about, you said you went to see a therapist. Yeah. And you were, t and so they gave you an antidepressant, and you mentioned that you were on two other depressants, and I want to make, make sure well, that people realize what that is. Right. The two depressants I was taking every day were alcohol and marijuana. Right. And people yeah. don't, people don't, don't always assume, right? Because, right? We're all. here to educate them and say, guess what? You know, you think that this alcohol and marijuana is like brings you up and makes you the life of the party. And it does it's for a few minutes. But, you know, I drank and drugged because I was depressed, but I was depressed because I drank and drugged. And I didn't get that. It took, you know, the final therapist I saw before I got sober, who was in recovery herself, to kind of paint that picture for me. Like, no wonder you feel like shit. You're taking two, you're taking two depressants every day. So, you know, um, and just kind of stuck. I mean, just stuck, as you hear so many people who are struggling with substances talk about. Um you know, waiting tables and spending all my money and having nothing to show for it and just kind of waiting for the job to find me. 
but there was this girl that I worked with, a little bit older, beautiful blonde, who, you know, caught my attention, but she didn't stay up late with us every night uh, after work. And she was bright-eyed the next day and had money in her pocket, you know, and <laughs> there was something about her. And I was like, why, why, you're not staying after work drinking red wine with us? What's going on? She said, well, I'm in recovery. And I was like, what does that mean? And I kind of knew, but she got in a DUI and had to go to AA. And after that was done, she decided to keep going to AA. And so I said, would you take me to a meeting? And I just kind of blurted it out. Um, and I was interested in her for sure, but I was also, it was getting to the point that I knew that I had a problem. Um, and we went to Old Central here. It used to be on Calhoun Street. And uh, I walked in and a guy who I went to college with was chairing the meeting. And there were normal looking people, you know, I thought, People that went to AA meetings were those people. And, you know, it was comfortable. Um, but I wasn't ready. But I walked through the door and it wasn't as bad as I thought. And so over the next two years, really, I would try and quit smoking pot and my drinking would increase. And I didn't like drinking as much, you know. Um, and every time I had too many beers, I would say yes to whoever had weed. So, you know, it was a long process of figuring out through trial and error and more pain that if I was going to quit smoking pot, I had to quit drinking. And I wanted to hold on to the drinking because everyone drinks and, you know, I was, I was pretty young and there were going to be drinking situations the rest of my life. So, but I realized through finally this good therapist that said, yeah, you, you, you can't do one without the other. You got to quit them both. And so by that point, I was living in Atlanta because I left Charleston because Charleston was my problem, right? Um, <laughs> the geographic cure that didn't work because I found the same people in Atlanta. But at this point, I was kind of going from grad school to grad school because I could always find young people to party with. And that would always give me the story to tell of what I was doing. Oh, well, I'm in grad school. I'm going to advertising school. I'm going to be in advertising. It used to be, oh, I'm in grad school. I'm going to be a teacher, you know. So I always had to have a story because I knew that I wasn't getting anything accomplished. Um, but I was in this grad school in Atlanta studying advertising, and it just, I, I couldn't, I literally couldn't look in the mirror anymore. Like, yeah. I'd move my toothbrush into the shower. Like, I couldn't, I mean, you know, I, I just, I couldn't meet my own gaze in the mirror because I was so down on myself. And this advertising school were a bunch of hotshot kids that were great writers, and I was trying to be a, a writer, um, and my brain wasn't working. I couldn't come up with catchy headlines or billboards or any of those things so it was time and it, the last two girls I dated somehow able to still date in those days um, each of them as they were breaking up with me said you need to call my therapist so that's kind of funny you know dating girls that needed to be in therapy um, but also the fact that you know they said you got to call this per person because you got a bigger problem than I do um, and finding Nelia, my therapist in Atlanta, um, it was amazing. And and I break this person's anonymity when I tell this story, and he's pretty public about his recovery. So I don't feel super bad when I do this, but um, Nelia said, you know, when I was at a meeting around the corner the other night and Elton John was there, I was like, if Elton John could go to a meeting in Atlanta, so can I, <laughs> right? And so I went, and that was August 10th, 97, and I just celebrated 22 years. Oh, my God! 
<laughs> so awesome. I know. Greatest thing I've ever done, hands down. Isn't it amazing? And you yeah. know what they call you in Florida, one chip wonder. Well, yeah, I don't know. Those two years, I was kind of going in and out of meetings. I wasn't necessarily one chip. I mean, okay. I'd still go to those meetings after I went to my first one here, and I'd get phone numbers, but I'd never call anybody. You know, I'm like, hey, I got some phone numbers. Well, the phone numbers only work if you pick up the phone. So I was, I was around the program for two years, not serious about it. Um, but at that point, when I'd been in Atlanta for a year and hadn't gone yet. Hadn't okay. gone in Atlanta, but I knew there were meetings right down the street from me. And how and old were you? I was 31, you which were... was still pretty young. Totally. Yeah. Younger um, than me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the, these days, you know, I run a program at the College of Charleston for sober students. I had a student that just graduated in May who got sober when she was 16. So she graduated with almost six years of recovery. I mean, I've got so much respect for people that can do it at that age because the temptation's everywhere. Being on a college campus and being sober, it's got to be hard. I know I wasn't ready at, at that age. Um, so more and more programs like this are coming up around the country because of the strength of the drugs and, and people hitting their bottom at younger and younger ages. So what we do is try and provide a supportive space for these students. I've got, I had 15 of them in last school year. Um, we're up to around 20 this semester, which is fantastic. And I know there are a few more out there I'm hoping to connect with. Um, but we have recovery meetings four days a week, super similar to 12-step meetings. Um, and we do a few social events a month, try and keep them busy on the weekends and together doing fun stuff. We've got a big cookout at my house this weekend. Uh, and then we do service around the, the city. And what has been a neat thing for, for me and to see my students do is we go and speak in middle schools and high schools and tell our stories. You know, for some, some people in the audience, that's like the first they've heard about how to find recovery. Because I know I didn't know where to go. You know, I'd heard AA, but that was like the last door on the block. But hearing, and hearing about and seeing a young person saying, yeah, I go to meetings, you know, and I've met my best friends in there, and those are the people that'll help me move in the rain. You know, those are the people that are the people I can count on. You know, those people we partied with, you could count on them at the bar, but outside of there, you know, were they really your good friends? Right, and I want to ask you this. So you went from being in Atlanta, and you were you were a student at that point still, yeah, and, yeah. You, and you had a job, and you were doing all that, and then you decided to get sober. And so where did that path take you? You came, what, Did you come back to Charleston so, soon after? Great question, because I knew I wanted to get back to Charleston. Um, this was, there's something about being near the water. Uh, but I knew I couldn't go back soon enough. So I had this great group of men that I went to this men's meeting with in Atlanta, and a great sponsor and you know work in the steps uncovered a lot um but I, I i was i needed to be close to two years sober before i moved back here like i couldn't have returned to charleston any sooner than i did and i was just under two years um and those men told me all right when you move back to town you're going to go to the high noon meeting and mount pleasant and ponytail dick's going to be your sponsor and at that point, I just kept saying yes. You know, that's what that was the key to my recovery when I finally came in for the last time, was saying yes to every suggestion my head told me to say no to. Mm. Like, get a sponsor. I didn't want to do that, but I said yes. 
come to a meeting tomorrow. Uh, I didn't want to do that, but I said, yes, work these steps. I just kept saying yes, and I got better. So that was the key for me. And so getting back to Charleston, that was eye-opening because a whole lot of old stuff came back up. Like, you know, Ponytail Dick, my sponsor when I got here, was like, son, you've come back to do some ghost busting in the haunted house. Oh, I Charles, love that. Yeah, right, right. Because Charleston yeah. for me was ground zero. It's where, you know, all sorts of new amends came back to light that I needed to make. I, I drive down this street and remember, oh, my gosh, that apartment. I did some bad stuff in there. You know, maybe that person's still in Charleston. I can look for them. So all this new stuff, you know, it's like when you get sober and you go back to your hometown, mm-hmm. stuff comes up you you need to make amends for, or that you remember that, you know, you got to work on fourth and fifth step stuff about. So coming back to Charleston was key in continuing my sobriety journey. And, yeah, I've been here ever since. And working in treatment centers after the fact, and I went back and got my master's in social work, um, which was fantastic. And for probably the last 10 years, I worked at Charleston Center, which is our county inpatient, outpatient drug and alcohol treatment center. And then I worked at the Medical University of South Carolina at the Center for Drug and Alcohol Programs. Um, where I met the two young men that started this program at the College of Charleston. They met in a treatment group there that I helped facilitate. So that was a And what year was that? What that year? was that was four years ago. So like twenty sixteen, these two guys, one had come out of long term inpatient treatment, um, had never been to college, and his aftercare plan was to move back to Charleston, live in sober living and go to outpatient at MUSC. And then John had basically failed out of Clemson or left Clemson because of his addiction, was living at home, and his parents wanted him to go through an outpatient program. And so those two, Isaac and John, met their first day of intensive outpatient program, and they both kind of that first week, Isaac knew he, he, he was solid in his, in his recovery at that point, and he really helped John make the decision, like, give this a shot, see where it takes you. And... And so eventually, you know, those two finished that program, moved in together, we're going to meetings, meeting other young people in the in the area because we've got great young people recovery in Charleston. We really do. Um, and they started talking about going back to school. Um, Isaac was was denied admission to the college eight times because his, his high school transcript was horrible because of his party and he got kicked out of high school right before graduation. He had some felonies. Um, but somebody suggested, Isaac, write about your recovery. That's your current life. Put that in your personal statement. And that got the attention of the admissions officers. And they agreed to talk to him about where he was and in his life at that point and decided he'd be a good candidate for, for college. And so through a bunch of coincidences that aren't coincidences, as we know (laughs) now that we're sober, um, God opened some doors for those guys to get in front of administrators at the right time and to start talking about this collegiate recovery program. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over at MUSC enjoying my job but looking for a new challenge and um, started reading up on collegiate recovery and seeing that it was a kind of movement nationally that made a lot of sense. I mean, college is ground zero for experimentation and figuring out your relationship with drugs and alcohol. Well, plenty of young people figure out that they're not good at it or that, you know, whenever they drink, they get in trouble or have serious consequences. And so 
the college, you know, I've got two, my two bosses got it. I can't say it any other way. Plenty of colleges don't have programs like this because somebody on campus that's a decision maker doesn't get it. Our administrators at the college got it. Dr. Cabot, Dr. Cadill, President McConnell, he understood it. Um, and they said, we'd like to start a program like this. We just don't have the funds in our budget. And the students, Isaac and John said, what if we go out and raise this money ourselves? I said, fine, please do. And they raised a whole lot of money in a short amount of time, a lot quicker than the college <laughs> thought. And they came back and said, all right, this is the money we've got committed to this program. And that's when they advertised for the director and through a you know interview process, I got the job. And so it's, you know, I say all the time, this is a dream job, but I never would have dreamed this would be a job, right? Right. You know, this is right. brand new stuff. And as long as I listen to my students and what their needs are, so far so good. We're in our sixth semester. We're in our second space on campus. We've grown into this program that's established and respected and 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 really an example of a, a, a good thing that the college has done. You know, when President McConnell retired, he listed his five greatest achievements as, a, as president of the college, and one of them was helping start the Collegiate Recovery Program. Well, of course it is, because yeah. it is, as you've mentioned numerous times in our conversation today, is how it's an epidemic on our campuses. Yeah. Not just this one, right. all of them. All of them, yeah. all of them. Yeah. I mean, I hear about it all the time, as well as you do, obviously, because mm -hmm. you're here boots on the ground. And you have a safe haven for everybody to come to yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, our space is full throughout the day. I mean, I've got students that are in here studying between classes, hanging out between classes. i got a study room where they can do some work on the computer. I've got a printer that they can use that's super key. You know, they love being able to print something right before they go to class. Um, We've got a student that's got an emotional support animal that's here in, in here with us all the time. I mean, Toby's our little mascot. Um, I've got as much LaCroix as they can drink, <laughs> as much coffee as they can drink. I've got chocolate, you know, to keep the study skills going. Um, and and I just try and make it a, a, a welcoming spot. I mean, this is the first time you've seen it. What did you think when you well, and I Well, and I was going to say this because, you know, I'm a parent. You're a parent as yeah, well. Yeah. And hopefully there's probably going to be parents that are going to be listening to this. And they're going to be like, oh, my gosh. Okay, what is this? You've got to give me more information about this. Yeah. So the first time when I came last year yeah. and I spoke to the students, you know, you had to walk upstairs. It was kind of harder to get to. Okay, yeah. now. So I came in today with my daughter because yeah. she is a student here at the college. And it's so great because it's on the first floor yeah. it's in a building it's on you know you walk in and you're kind of like you don't know if somebody's walking through these double doors to go to classroom right or if they're going back here yeah. and it's kind of it's it's special I, I that's the only word I can think about it yeah. because it's special because you can walk through you can have your anonymity still sure, sure. you cannot have that like oh is everybody gonna be going where are they going why are yeah. they getting on the elevator or why are they going through their doors right. what right. are they doing back there yeah. I love that yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it is kind of secretive, but it's also nobody nobody will question where you're going. Sure. And the space, sure. you know, as you mentioned, there's a great big huge room where you can hold your meetings with comfy couches yeah. and places just to hang. And then there are like there's desks. Yeah. And there's a printer. Yeah. You mentioned that. And there's I mean, that's what students are here for. You know, you gotta get your grades. You gotta get your studies in and, and that's important. And these kids after they get sober. You know, on average, our GPA as a collective group is higher than the rest of the colleges, and my students graduate. So colleges are learning that sober kids are an attractive, 
I hate to use the word commodity, but they're an attractive group to have on campus. I mean, for one, I had to realize when I started working here, this is business. You know, you want to have students in school who are going to stay in school and graduate. And now that students are sober, uh, they've got a much more likely chance of completing those goals. And the shame, you know, that's a big thing. And a lot of parents think, oh my gosh, are my kids going to get sober? What are they going to do? Oh no, forget it. They're going to stay at home yeah. and I'm going to babysit them yeah. and they can't go off to college. I'm going to lock them to the, you know, the radiator or whatever yeah. and not let them go and have this experience. Yeah. But having this resource while you're at school is such an amazing thing. You know, you would never think about it. You've got to teach these kids that they can still have fun without substances. That's one of the biggest fears, you know, and that was a fear for me I mean I was 31 and I still had I wasn't married and I was like how am I gonna get through my wedding without drinking but you gotta you gotta let these folks know that having fun in sobriety is possible but the benefits are numerous I mean you feel better mentally you feel better physically you feel better emotionally you're able to connect to your family again there's less shame there's less guilt because you're not making those stupid decisions anymore you got more money in your pocket which is cool um, you know, and the smiles are genuine and real. I mean, my favorite times in here are when I'm just sitting back listening and watching. These students are connecting. They're talking about what they're doing over the weekends, talking about meetings they're going to. Um, the peer-to-peer -peer connection and support they offer each other is a joy to see. Now, after working at treatment centers for 10 years, you know, I, I knew that not everybody that came into treatment wanted to get sober. And quite honestly, I was getting burned out. To tell you the truth, I mean, I celebrated the successes, but there were so many more failures than successes, I hate to say. With this group, I get to work with students that want to be sober, and and that joy is contagious, and you know, I can't wait to come to work every day, because I get to work with these kids that are serious and passionate, and, and you know, they see a future now, because before, they didn't know what was next. Oh, no, you have blinders on, right? Yeah. I mean, and for me, when I was in I mean, when we were both in college, yeah. there was no such resources around. I mean, it was like either, you, either you're a partier or you're like not even going to college, right? right. There was no option. Yeah. I mean, there was no solution. Yeah. I always love to say, you know, I grew up with two alcoholic grandmothers and they never had a solution, right? Yeah. And now today with people talking about it, yeah. Yeah. we're coming out and we're saying, you know what? Right. We're alcoholics. Yeah. We're you know what we're we're not crazy. We don't we aren't growing unicorns on top of our heads. Right. We aren't the dredge of society. Yeah. You know, we're actually living working members of our communities right. that have battled the disease of addiction, mm -hmm. and now we're living in the solution one day at a time. Right. We know that one in three families fights addiction, and so that's look to your left, look to your right. Those people standing next to you, somebody in that family system is probably battling addiction, and. The neat thing when we go out and speak to these schools, the middle schools and the high schools, and then we'll stick around afterwards, you know, and there's some kids that'll come up and say, hey, my dad's in recovery, or hey, my mom struggles, what can she do? And being able to, to share what the solution is. And, you know, social media is helping, I believe. I mean, for all the complaining we do about it, I think there's more awareness about recovery and recovery resources through social media. You know, I posted on Facebook the other day that I celebrated 22 years. The, the comments I got were absolutely amazing. And the phone calls I've gotten since then, like, hey, can you talk to my son? Or, hey, what do I do about my mom? You know, those kind of questions. I love being a resource. I've never, I've, I've kept my anonymity um, 
I've never really protected my anonymity that much at first because I wanted everybody to know because they helped me stay accountable, right? I mean, if I went into a bar or a restaurant here in Charleston and tried to take a drink, I think somebody would tackle me because everybody <laughs> knows I'm the sober guy, which is good. I need that level of accountability. But it also allows me to be able to be of service. And that's that's when I'm at my happiest is when I help somebody else get on this path, this path that has just given me this life I never imagined. Well, and I love to call and I want to refer to you as a warrior because, <laughs> you know, I you, you're so personable and kids can come in and you keep your door wide open and you're there for them and you're there to lend an ear and you can say not in a judgment. You're like you're there because you get it. Sure. Totally get it. It's yeah. like there's no judgment. Uh-huh. You're not looking at somebody and making them feel bad because, oh, my gosh, you're going through it. Instead, it's the exact opposite. You're like, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. And let's talk about what we can do differently than you've been doing. your whole life right Right? sure and you know we talked about letting them know you can still have a whole lot of fun but another big concern is how am I going to do this the rest of my life I'm 20 I'm 18 I'm 22 however old they are I'm like yeah the only way you do it's one day at a time I mean that cliche works especially with this young population because the thought of staying sober from what 18 until you die is daunting but I can do it for 24 hours. And if I keep doing it for 24 hours, I'll stack up some time. And that that helped me, of course, when I got sober. Um, but I, I definitely, the one day at a time thing works really well in this age range. Well, I can tell you, for me, it even, I mean, oh, for yeah. me, because when I remember when I was getting sober at 37, yeah. you know, I, it, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what happens when my kids get married? Am I not going to be able to have a glass of champagne? I mean, that was my number oh, one focus. Yeah. And everybody was like, just come one day at a time. Yeah. You know, just imagine getting, and now, now I can't even imagine like on my deathbed even wanting to drink because right. life is just so much greater being present for, yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And nobody says it's easy. No. Mm-hmm. I don't know whoever told anybody that it was like, like life was easy. It's not easy, but it's so much richer right and when it gets hard i've got a whole crew of people i can turn to and and that's something i didn't have before and i'm more willing to be honest about how i'm feeling and i know feelings aren't facts you know they're feelings that i'm feeling right now and i'm going to get through them but getting sober has allowed me to be comfortable asking for help and to be comfortable receiving help and to be comfortable helping others you know isn't that what it's all about that's all that's all it's about. So tell me this. So when kids when kids are coming here to school, do they reach I, I'm just gonna do the base. I just wanna walk oh, through sure. it really quick yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. our listeners. So let's say parents have they've got a child that's just gone through treatment and they're a senior in high school and they're gonna apply to schools and they wanna make sure for sure. Would you say to them if they've gone through like make sure that whatever school you're applying to has a support group like this? Absolutely. And and listen, I help people find the right schools for them because there are plenty of collegiate recovery programs that have sober living. We don't have it yet, but we're working on it. We'd okay. love to have a little house on campus for six to 10 of our students. Um, but, you know, I'm able to help my students find sober roommates for the most part. But yeah, I, I hear from parents a lot. I hear from treatment centers a lot. You know, we've got a kid that's going to be returning to the College of Charleston. He's been with us for 30, 60, 90 days. Um, How do we facilitate a meeting? And so, you know, students like to text. And so I'm texting with them about when they're coming to town and when we can set up that meeting. And 
um, what their aftercare plan is. And then I'm also telling them about the good meetings to go to when they get here. So yeah, I mean, either the student contacts me, the parent contacts me, or the treatment center contacts me often. But, you know, more and more, uh, as people are learning about our program on campus, we're going to knock on the door. And somebody will come, hey, I heard about your program. I've been struggling. And so I have a lot of those one-on-one -on -one meetings where I'm, you know, just telling about what we do and trying to leave some breadcrumbs so they'll come back, you know, or show them our big box of candy out there and say, hey, come back and get a snack tomorrow. You know, you can sit in on a meeting. You know, just to get them back and connect them to others that are like them. You know, I mean... Often, these young folks think that the sober students are those people, but they come in here and they realize, I'm sitting next to this guy in class, and he's smart, and he's funny, and, you know, um, they're just like you and me. I mean, it doesn't discriminate these days. And tell me this, so I'm sure people are wondering, how much does it cost? absolutely free it's I mean, free can yes. you hear believe that it's free yeah, sure the college supports this and many other colleges i think they're close to 200 collegiate recovery programs around the country um honored that my alma mater has this program you know even if i didn't get the job i'd be proud of my school um university of south carolina has a program up in columbia other schools around the state are efforting um but yeah we went to big collegiate recovery conference in Boston this summer, the Association of Recovery in Higher Education. It was my third conference. I was able to take five of my students. They met students from collegiate recovery programs from all over the country. So it's, there's a great track for the administrators to learn what's working on their campuses and share with each other. Um, and then there's a great program for the students as well, for them to get to know each other and have some fun and you know, and talk about how they're student leaders in their collegiate recovery programs. So it's just the most exciting movement to be a part of if you're in recovery. And, you know, advocate for your school, whatever school you graduated from, to get a program like this because it makes sense. It totally makes sense because kids are dying all over the country. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they don't talk about this, but yeah. more people die from alcohol-related deaths than mm -hmm. they do from ever opiates. Yeah. Or, you know, marijuana or any yeah. other drugs. Yeah. It's number one is alcohol. But we keep we keep making it quiet. Oh, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. But it's a killer. And it's killing yeah. our kids. Well, this, you know, the last couple of weeks have been the first weekends back for many schools around the country. And I've heard of a couple of deaths already. I mean, it's, it's the reality. You know, we... We know that those first couple of weekends back are pretty dangerous. Every college and university knows that. And, and you kind of brace for what's coming. You try and do your education up front during orientation and talk about the services in place. But, you know, those first weekends away from home, free, um, there can be some bad decisions made. So I went to memorial service yesterday for a student that passed last Friday. I mean, it was heartbreaking. And I talked to the mom afterwards and she said, I hope this death makes a ripple throughout his friend group, you know? Um, and I'd met with that student before and we had talked and I tried to kind of urge him to be a part of our program. He wasn't ready, but the door was still open and, you know, we'd still see each other around campus and he knew some of my students. Um, totally heartbreaking. Uh, and, yeah. 
and it doesn't have to happen anymore because of people like you that have these resources that are available for our kids. It's just amazing, amazing. And the fact that students can call you and say, okay, I'm uh, you know, a senior in high school, College of Charles, I just got my acceptance, yeah. I've been sober, you know, and what can you help me get together with a roommate? I love that. Sure. So we're hearing more and more and trying to market really to recovery high schools because more and more of those are starting around the country. Mm-hmm. One just started in Charlotte this fall, where I'm from, the Emerald School of Excellence. And so proud of the work they've done to get this first recovery school in, in North Carolina going, Recovery High School. Um, in Columbia, hopefully next fall, um, Hope Charter Academy is going to open. So, But we're in touch with recovery high schools, wilderness treatment programs, um, therapeutic boarding schools, because those are the students we want. They're already in recovery. Uh, they can come down here, stay sober, and thrive while they're in an awesome setting on, on in this beautiful city. It's amazing, Wood. Thank you. It's so awesome. So I can I put you, I'm going to put the link of the school oh, on please. okay underneath please, please, this. Please. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, and I'll forward them to you. Yes. Sound good? Absolutely, absolutely. And it was cool how you and I met. Like I saw some of your stuff on Facebook, and you had put last year that you were coming to visit your co- your yeah. daughter at the College of Charleston. I said, please come visit my program. So you came to a meeting last year. You met some of my students. Hopefully you can come to a meeting this week. Exactly. I'd love to. And I just think it's so amazing what you're doing because, again, I don't want, I mean, too many kids are dying and it's not, let's do something different, everybody. Let's change it. Let's talk about it. Let's realize that the solution to alcoholism doesn't have to be death institutions or jail. There's actually recovery there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And getting recovered is like such a great option. You can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And then this friend group you'll make you know as we were talking earlier those are the people that will help you move in the rain i mean those are the people that show up that are that are the truth tellers and they're honest and those are my best friends you know yeah i mean those are the, the folks that that carry me and that i carry and that golly that i'm honored to be uh, alongside well it helps you become the dad that you are today yeah. the husband you are the yeah. son the brother yeah. And then the like icing on the cake is being able to help all these kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really the icing. It's like the fact that, you know, for some reason God put you in this place, I right? Know. I know. And you're helping all these people and you're a resource for these kids. And you've made a haven here at the College of Charleston. And that is like all that matters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm coming back for sure. Good. I'll be back. Please. I'll be back. I'll be back. And um, thank you so much for your time. Always great to see you. Great to see you. And until next week, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.